Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool, the podcast for the climate economy, where we dive deep into the climate crisis and come up with solutions. I'm Molly Wood. This week, we're talking recycling. Now, this is a hot-button topic, I know. I can't tell you how often somebody says something to me along the lines of, you know, yeah, but recycling isn't even real, right? And the answer is, it's complicated. I mean, yes, you saw the headlines about how China in 2018 stopped importing plastic waste from the U.S. and other places. Vietnam, Malaysia, and Thailand did the same soon after. And now we ship plastic all over Southeast Asia, and between 20 and 70% of it isn't or can't be recycled. A lot of it is incinerated. It pollutes like crazy. This is all according to the Columbia Climate School. Most plastic waste is landfilled or incinerated. And even where we have recycling, a lot of Americans either don't do it or don't do it right. We don't have domestic infrastructure for recycling because we just dumped it on China for so long. And there aren't any federal recycling programs. And yes, in case you're wondering, the U.S. generates more waste than any other country, full stop. So this isn't to say you shouldn't recycle. You still should. Glass and aluminum are valuable. Some plastic is getting recycled. If you have curbside recycling, use it and use it right. But also, new services and ideas are stepping in to fill the void and create value out of the waste we're generating. And that leads us to our guest today. I'm Ryan Metzger, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ridwell. And Ridwell is a service that makes it easy for you to waste less. And we do that by picking up reusable and hard-to-recycle items from your front porch. Ridwell is a subscription recycling and reuse service that gives you a box for your front porch so you can recycle hard-to-handle products like batteries, light bulbs, different kinds of plastic, clothing or fabric or scraps. And there's a rotating category every time, like yarn or school supplies or crayons or old glasses. I have been using it for months, and I wish it didn't have to exist, but I'm thrilled that it does. I started off by asking Ryan how he got started. The backstory is it wasn't intended to be a business in the way many founding stories are, but rather just solve a consumer pain point. And it's one that I'm sure many of your listeners have, you may have had. How do you get rid of stuff that you, you, know, you think it could be reused, you think it could be recycled, but it's not a part of your curbside program? So I had a room in my house where all this stuff went to go. And so there was the little bag for Goodwill and there was the uh, bag of styrofoam and the little box of batteries. And so what I did was I, every weekend, my son Owen and I would pick a category and we would do the research and, oh, this hardware store takes the, these batteries and this place 30 minutes away takes styrofoam and recycles it. So we would take our stuff, that one category that we picked for that weekend, and then we would post in neighborhood groups. And it turns out we had room in our car. So why not offer that as a little service to the community? Let's fill our car with styrofoam with six other people. Six became 10, became 12, became 20. And, and before long, we were doing this all throughout Seattle and uh, became this really powerful community of people who really wanted to make a difference with stuff that they wanted to get rid of in, in responsible ways. Amazing. And then at what point did you say, okay, I want to do this not only as a business, which is tricky because it involves physical 
yep. stuff in the world and transportation. And I'm pretty sure we could take this business nationwide. Yeah, well, we're not quite nationwide, but we're working on it. Yep. But yeah, the, the couple of things that, that then as we saw this traction, and, and at the time, I, I should have said I was working in a venture capital firm. I was advising startups on growth and many of them consumer companies. And so it was really you know striking to see day job. How do I help all these companies grow who are venture backed and things like that? And then on weekends, this this thing was growing really organically and, and, and through the community telling each other. And that's a really important thing has become even more so as consumer marketing has become more difficult uh, in, in the years since then. So that having that really consumer reaction that did a lot of the marketing for us and in terms of word of mouth and, and telling others, that was an important catalyst. The other one was the time we were in. And so this was back in 2018. There was a big policy change called China Sword that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of recycling was not going anywhere because China stopped taking things. And so I was talking to people in the industry as we saw this traction and it was, why, why is all these gaps? And are the gaps going to grow or are they going to shrink? And the word I got was that the gaps were only going to go up. And so fewer things worked in single would work in single stream recycling. And so the opportunities were going to grow for a business like ours that was in the business of finding gaps that consumers had and, and finding ways to solve those gaps. So tell me more about the gaps. What is it? Is it a combination? Is it the fact that people were putting things in recycling that weren't actually getting recycled because there was nowhere for them to go? Some of each. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there, there's a term called wish cycling, which is, oh, I hope they'll do something with it. Let me put, you know, these plastics bags in recycle bins. So some of it is that. And so actually we believe we're making recycling streams better because we're pulling things out that shouldn't go there. And then there's another set of categories that can never go there. Um, and a lot of those are things that are reused. Uh, you mentioned crayons that, you know, we've collected for for local kids groups and stuff like that, right? So that would never work in a traditional bin system. Mm-hmm. But because our system is finding all of these phenomenal partners and then giving members like you bags to pre-sort things, those things can stay intact. And so they can go from members' porches to our warehouse, to our partners, and be used again or be recycled. And so we look at gaps a couple different ways, things that shouldn't go there and things that never could go there. And those are all things that are around people's homes. And so we find opportunities like that. Let's do that. This feels like a good place for the nuts and bolts, which is what the actual product is and how it works and how much you pay as a consumer. Yeah, it's a subscription service around $15 a month. And so with that, we provide you this bin, which is a a metal, uh, you know, it says Ridwell on it, and it's designed to go on your porch, the side of your house, wherever's convenient for you. And then we give you these cloth reusable bags. And so there's, it varies a little bit from place to place. Some places have batteries, others don't. Some have light bulbs. All of them though have clothing and shoes. All of them have plastic film. We just introduced something called multi-layer plastic, which is snack wrappers, chip bags, those types of things. And so members are putting their material in each of those bags and they're labeled. Remember, I started this with my son. And so it's designed for the whole family to use, even if they can't necessarily read. And so there's icons on them and stuff like that. So people are filling these bags. Then their pickup is every two weeks. And so they put the full bags in the bin. We have an app that gives them all the schedule and things like that. They request to pick up. And then we have drivers who go around and do routes and they will pick up your full bags and leave you empty ones behind. And then you'll get a text message that says, thanks for helping the world, Molly. Your next category is crayons or or back to school supplies or non-perishable food. We also have surprise and delight categories too. So every two weeks, there's something new that we mix into that. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, the surprise and delight category, because it's already unbelievably valuable to just have somewhere to put the chip bags. I mean, that is, yeah, it's that thing that you know you can't quite recycle, but you feel terrible about or that weird little piece of plastic on the top of the cottage cheese. Why? Why is that there? And I can 
put it in this bag. But the surprise and delight categories, what's the genesis of that? And give us some more examples. Yeah, that goes back to really the founding story, you know, that I told you earlier. And so Owen and I, he's my oldest son, we would do these pickups. And what was really special about that experience was neighbors started giving us ideas. And so I remember one vividly, some woman said, oh, you know, Owen, do you have, and your dad, do you have anything for, you know, eyeglasses? Like my husband changed his prescription. He has these three pairs that are, you know, not used to him, but they might be useful for someone. And so we then looked and figured out that there was a partner for that. And so then we would share it back with the community. And so the community ended up really looking forward to, oh, what's next? What's going to happen? And they didn't really know what it was because we didn't necessarily know what it was. It was something that was shared with us or something that was around our house that we were able to find a partner for. And so we've done that at at a much bigger scale today where when we go to a new market, we look for who are the nonprofits generally who are doing really good things in the community who have a need for in-kind donations for things, or what are the hard to recycle things? We've added bread tags or plastic bottle caps, those types of things. So it's really that keep it fresh, keep it new, keep people inspired that their actions make a difference. Uh, And so we introduce that by means of our, our featured category that is every two weeks, there's a new one. Yeah, I do not want to out myself as the old lady that I am, but the week that you did yarn. Oh, yarn was a popular one, yeah. (laughs) Made a really big difference at my house. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me about batteries. And what are the core, the core categories do change a bit. Like, for example, I'm in Oakland where I can put my batteries on top of my recycle bin in a plastic bag. So I don't have a battery bag, but it sounds like that's a very popular one for people who don't have that option. Batteries is, yeah. Batteries can cause many problems in traditional recycling. They can cause fires and things like that. So in Portland and Seattle and and even in Berkeley, not too far from you, uh, batteries are part of the service. In Oakland, they're not because it's provided by the city. Uh, But that certainly is is a popular one. That was actually the first category Owen and I ever did, you know, back in our day um, when it took us many, many calls to figure out a partner for it. Um, so it's one that, that definitely has a lot of consumer interest because it's one that is, is, has been often excluded from traditional systems. What are some of the other core categories? Light bulbs, you mentioned shoes and clothes. Light bulbs, yep. And there that has light bulbs has glass and plastic and metal that is separated and, and kept safe along that. Clothing and shoes, sometimes we call that threads. And so there there's a hierarchy of reuse down to recycling, depending on the condition of it. And then the, the hard to recycle plastics are, are the other others that are core. And who do you partner with for the threads? Depends on the market. As someone who's on the Goodwill board. <laughs> yes, Goodwill is a, is a common partner of ours. They're, they have a federated model, so each Goodwill region kind of makes their own decisions and have their own needs and, and, and wants. Um, but Goodwill, Goodwill is, is a popular one that we they work with in several of our markets. Okay, time for a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how Ridwell also takes the stuff we throw away and helps companies turn it into new stuff. Waste to value is what this is called. It is a super promising trend that could get even bigger over time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Everybody in the Pool. I'm talking with Ryan Metzger, the founder and CEO of Ridwell. In the second half of our conversation, we're going to talk a little bit more about these reuse partners and how Ridwell is the kind of business that can help other businesses because a lot of the stuff we throw away actually has a lot of value. So talk to me about the partners. I think that with China Sword is an interesting place to have started because there is just fundamentally now a lack of trust in recycling. And this business on your end is really about us believing that this is going somewhere and not getting dumped. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of partners, we have taken a stand that we're being very transparent about them and we, and we hope others follow. And so for all of our categories, whether it's the yarn, whether it's the books, whether it's the plastic film, whether it's the multi-layer plastic, you can see where that goes. And for many of them, you can see how much of the stuff that you provided to us actually got to them. So we show that for each market. We can say, you know, 90 some percent in the Bay Area went to tracks for plastic film, for example. So we think it's really important to do that. We hope others follow and do that as well, because there is this lack of trust. I think we are in a, in a, in a good fortune in that we have members like you who actually who do the sorting and, and really help us out with these bags. And so the quality of materials that we get is very, very high. And so there are many partners for things that there otherwise wouldn't be because of the model, because of who we serve. And we're proud to share that with people who, who utilize the service and even those who don't, uh, because we have nothing to hide. We really want to, to get the partners out and, and have people support Trex and, and things like that when they, they see who we're working with. You mentioned Trex. I want to, and I'm hoping you'll give us some other examples of partners, but Trex is a really interesting, they make deck material? Yep. Composite decking. Yep. So it's a, they use a mix of kind of sawdust and, and recycled plastic film in that. And so it looks like a lumber, it looks like just lumber that you would make a deck with, or you would make something, you know, they make benches and things like that. And so they're a U.S.-based partner, uh, depending on where you're located, that might, your plastic film might go to, yours would go to Nevada, for example, in the Bay Area. And oh. They have another one in Virginia as well, um, too. So they're, they're a great partner of ours. So that is a material that has been reusable, there was just sort of no way to get it to them. Like, tell me about the benefit for Trex. Like, do they pay you for this? Because this is in fact, a, this is a, a resource that they need. Yeah, it's a material. So the, it, plastic film, just for your, your listeners, that's thin scrunchable plastics. And so it's produce bags, it's Amazon mailers, it's bubble wrap, it's air pillows, it's those types of plastic things. That is what they make their product out of. Sourcing that from traditional recycling would be very, very difficult because that stuff gets mixed in with your newspaper, your catalogs, your aluminum cans, your cardboard, and getting that thin stuff out uh, would, would be difficult because it gets mixed up with paper and it gets jammed in the machines. And so they need to sort of source this thin plastic from another way. They sometimes do grocery store, you know, sometimes there's a grocery store drop off for plastic film. Often Trex is on the end, end of that. Hmm. They also work with post-industrial. So if, you, if you're a manufacturer and you have pallet wrap or something like that, they do that as well. So they, they just have a recycling feedstock that is would be very, very hard to source in traditional ways when it's single stream and mixed together. Right. So it is, in fact, valuable to them yes. to get this. You're not like, hey, I brought this. And would, for example, that thin filled plastic, is that even recyclable in? I mean, I just always assumed I couldn't even put that in my recycling. It depends jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Very, very uh, infrequently it is. I think if you were in Palo Alto, it might be, mm. um, you know, there's a few, there, there are few and far between the places where those can go. And oftentimes they need to be bagged inside. And so someone is uh, physically grabbing a bag of, of, of kind of bagged up plastic film and then taking it out of the sorting line and then getting it to a partner like Trex or, or someone else who, who does this type of thing. And what's the difference between that plastic and the multi-layer? 
Yeah, great question. Multilayer plastic is new, and, th and that's an exciting one that we heard loud and clear. People were very interested in that, so we had to work very long and hard to find partners for that one. Multilayer plastic is chip bags, snack wrappers. It's, it's thicker and oftentimes has a silver lining in it. Um, and so those, and we have lots of documentation and things like that. Hopefully you're getting your questions answered if you have any, but the, the sound is different when you, when you crunch it. Um, so it has more of a crunch to it where the other one is a softer noise because it's a, a, a different type of plastic. And where that one goes, we have three partners that we work with. One of them makes this composite gravel uh, substitute that is in planters and things like that. Another one makes these cement blocks that are made of really condensed, hard to recycle plastic. And then the third one makes a landscape drainage product uh, that's really cool. Areas that flood, we're up in here in Seattle, that happens often. And so it's sort of like a French drain substitute or, 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 or use, use case like that. I love the idea that you could end up being a feedstock provider for a new company that like would have had a hard time existing. Yes. Were it not for access to this material. Absolutely. We, that's a big part of our vision. If there's entrepreneurs who want material and they want recycled material, not virgin one, we think the world is moving towards that anyway. And so if our uh, member base uh, can, can help support entrepreneurs who want to do stuff like that, we really hope they reach out to us. We have a phenomenal partnership team who uh, would love to speak to them if they're, they have uh, visions like that. As to the question of monthly cost, on the one hand, yes, this is for someone who can afford it. But Ryan also pointed out that if you're using Ridwell, you're putting less stuff in trash and recycling. And in a lot of towns, that means you can actually get a smaller bin. And in some cases, save yourself close to the actual cost of Ridwell. So that's nice, which made me wonder. I feel like fundamentally, that's my question is like, why, why is my city? I have curbside recycling. Yeah. Oftentimes, the companies that run those, run both recycling and garbage, have very, very lucrative landfill businesses. To the tune, if you look at the top three biggest, um, over $8 billion in revenue a year from landfills, right? And so if you, you've got your fleet of recycling trucks, that's nice. You know, we'll do that because some cities want it. But really, what what pays the bills in many times, it's, it's this landfill business. And so you have a very long-term 10-year contract their goal is to get more of these 10-year contracts. And, and really, a lot of the value comes from the landfill portion of it. And so the incentives are not really aligned towards what does Molly in Oakland want to get rid of and how does she want to reduce her footprint when it comes to waste, but rather how do we keep the gravy train you know, running? Break that down for me a little bit. Who gets paid? So the landfill pays the waste management company? Well, you'll get a city contract. Yep. So I don't know who the particulars are in Oakland, but like in Seattle, for example, there's three companies that sort of share it and there's a landfill owner, right? And so you get a get for 10 years, all of Seattle's waste is going to this landfill and it's going to be paid at this amount. So to simplify dramatically, like if I go to the dump, I have to pay some money to drop it off. And so what you're saying is on the one hand, you have these landfills and on the other side, you have cities who have said, we will pay you this certain amount to bring you this trash? Well, I would, I would, I would take even a step back from there. Mm -hmm. The companies that are traditionally in charge of recycling also are in charge of picking up your garbage and making money off of landfilling that garbage. Got it. And so if you look at that stakeholder, finding a use case for bread tags for, you know, someone in, in the Bay Area versus keeping the, the landfill and, and, and sort of the status quo intact where, where are they going to run to first? 
Um, right. And so I, I think there's just this incentive system, which is profit driven, which most things are, but it's, it's not as environmentally focused as our members want to be. And so that's where we're finding the people that say, no, I, I want to keep things from landfills. How can I do that? Versus this sort of larger ecosystem that's been developed over many, many years. Right. Who knew? And finally, tell me, tell us, Tell people who are now wondering, how can I get this? What cities you're available in? Yeah, we're in seven markets and within that, many cities within that. So we started in the Seattle metro area. That was our first. We added Portland, Oregon, uh, which includes Vancouver, Washington, around that that area as well. Uh, Denver uh, was our third. We go up to Boulder and, and, and places even further than that. Minneapolis, Twin Cities was our fourth. Austin was our fifth. The Bay Area was our sixth. And so we began in the East Bay, where where you are. We added the peninsula and then San Francisco uh, is going to be live as of this taping uh, or when this taping airs. So that's an exciting uh, new addition for us. Um, And then Atlanta uh, is just getting going as well. So that's our our furthest east and our first in the eastern time zone. That was our seventh market. And then Los Angeles is coming soon. uh, So that should be happening uh, this summer as well. If somebody was listening to this and they could be like, how can I help? In addition to how can I sign up? I think partnerships are a really interesting part of it. Uh, if there's someone, we mentioned the entrepreneur who wants feedstock to do do things. You know, I think there's a lot of brands who are wanting to create things from what would be garbage. There's shoe brands, there's clothing brands. We did a, a pilot with a group that made these upcycled tote bags where our members provided Uh, jackets and shells. And then we made these really cool one-of-a-kind tote bags that had a a Ridwell logo on it and the partner. They're called Refleece out of Massachusetts. Um, So I I think if there are entrepreneurs out there who are upcycling things, think of us as a feedstock and then think of our members as people who really want to support those activities. When we did these tote bags, they sold out in 25 minutes and and people wanted them more and more and more of them. So we're bringing that back in in Q4. But those types of things we're really excited about because it really lets people put their money where where their their values are. And and we want to provide outlets for that. I love that. I'm just imagining an artist collective, for example, just being like, yes, please give me all of that. Absolutely. Yep. We've done some of that and we want more. So if there are artists out there, you know, reach out to Ryan at Ridwell and we'll, we'll see what we can do. That's fascinating. Okay. Now tell me like, what's the wildest add-on category that you've done that you might never do again? <laughs> oh man, we did uh, cannabis containers on 420 uh, in, in, in Portland. Um, that was an interesting one. That's a stinky drive. Uh, I pity yeah, those drivers. <laughs> we did, we did, um, Campaign yard signs post-election. That was a popular one. Um, we've done leftover Halloween candy is a really fun one too um, that we've done over and over again in sort of the November period. Awesome. Um, there's so many of them. We like to really get you know into the seasonal seasonality of, of things, holiday lights, you know, post-holiday season and, and things like that. So there's definitely some some fun ones out there. So good. Ryan Metzger, Ridwell.com is where you can sign up and you just better hope it's in your city because it's like my new favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Molly. Thanks so much. And that's it for everybody in the pool. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to subscribe to the show and get an ad-free feed every week, please check out the link in the description in your podcatcher and tell a friend about the show. And as always, if you have an unexpected climate solution or a startup or you're turning your job into a climate job, or if you'd like to sponsor Everybody in the Pool, my email address is in at everybodyinthepool.com. And for a deeper dive every week, sign up for my newsletter at mollywood.co. See you next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.